Welcome to the NBDA podcast, interviews with industry leaders and subject experts from across the business development world. Join us as we talk about real-world experiences, challenges, and opportunities that can take your career to the next level. The NBDA podcast is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Discover more at yourpodcast.team. Now here's your host, Dave Spray. Welcome to the NBDA podcast. My name is David Spray, and today we're talking with Ken Beeman from Marsh McLennan in Houston. Ken has a long history of tailoring property and casualty insurance programs for affluent families, and we had a great conversation about who his ideal client is and some real-life stories, how he learned of NBDA and why he joined 10 years ago, his four top business development best practices, as well as advice for someone considering entering into a career as a business development professional. This is a great episode, especially if you are interested in improving your business development skills and habits. Let's get to the show. Hello, our guest today is Ken Ken Beeman. Ken is the Vice President and Senior Business Development Executive with Marsh Private Client Services here in Houston. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So why don't we go into just a bit more detail and tell us about your role with the company and how would you describe your elevator statement? Sure. So I actually serve as a private risk advisor, um, also an insurance consultant and insurance broker. I serve as a relationship manager to clients and to financial advisors who recommend me as a resource partner to help protect assets for their clients. The products that we sell and service are homeowners insurance, flood insurance, auto, valuable articles, like jewelry, art, yachts, private jets, and high limits of excess liability insurance. So those are the products, but we're really protecting assets and lifestyles for successful families. It might be helpful to just add a little clarity or process to what we do. We conduct, okay. Uh, we conduct personal risk assessments for wealthy families and business owners, and senior executives, and we uncover exposures and gaps in their personal insurance programs. As an objective broker, we then design one customized risk transfer program with insurance solutions to cover gaps and generally recommending one primary insurance company with the broadest coverage and most uh, cost-effective. So we okay. secure quotes, quotes from multiple companies and then present our findings to the client. And for qualified clients, we actually have a closing ratio of over 80%. Oh, wow. And how long have you been in the, the private client services area? Actually probably 25 years specifically in working with affluent families. And I'm almost 40 years in the industry now in insurance since college. Okay. And so what makes uh, your company different than your competitors? That's a good question. I would say our, our consulting expertise in our, in our breadth of resources or our key differentiators. Uh, Marsh McLennan is our parent company. We have an excellent brand in our industry, 
and that certainly helps. But the key things, we have lots of people with lots of different expertise. We're also the as the world's largest uh, insurance brokerage firm and risk management services firm. We have strong relationship with our insurance carriers, which benefits our clients. And how do those relationships with the carriers benefit your clients? Well, it can be anything from underwriting influence with non-renewals or possibly with new business opportunities. Sometimes we get exceptions or accommodations just because of our uh, volume and capacity with these insurance carriers and our consistent record of profitability. Okay. Um, our, our consulting difference uh, is a positive thing for underwriters and insurance companies because they know we get into the detail and we have discussions with clients. We're not just transactional. Okay. So could you share kind of a, you know, kind of a example client success story? And obviously, you know, we don't expect you to share any names, but could you give us a kind of a sense of uh, a situation where you came in and were able to uh, really add some value? Um, sure. Thanks for asking that question, David. I, I could probably mention a couple of uh, different things. And okay. Give, give the high, high level examples. And of course we do, have the highest uh, standards of confidentiality and never can mention clients. However, here's a couple of quick examples there that it exemplify what we bring to our clients. The first one is a claim story, which really we're fulfilling promises and insurance claims do happen. Um, most everyone's aware of the national freeze that took place in February and how it impacted Texans. And most everyone in our state lost power for hours and some of us several days. There were many water damage losses from frozen and ruptured pipes. Repair costs for smaller losses were, they often didn't even meet deductibles. So the smaller ones, clients were able to just take care of out of pocket. But many of our Texas clients were elated to learn that they were not only covered under their homeowner policy, but their large deductible was waived completely because the repair costs exceeded $50,000. This was thanks to a special policy feature only offered by premier insurance companies for high value homes. Although these clients were inconvenienced by the loss and subsequent repairs, many of our clients had no out-of-pocket expense for this catastrophe. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's just kind of proof that all homeowner policies are not the same. Mainstream insurance companies um, are completely different as far as the, the contract and the terms and conditions of an insurance policy. Okay. Well, that so, is, yeah, that is interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Then another quick one on the more of a case study standpoint. Uh, so we, we generally insure families who own at least a primary home, uh, that would cost a million dollars or more to rebuild. That's kind of our entry-level client. Okay. And total losses don't happen often, but when they do, because of a fire or a hurricane or whatever, we make sure that the, the client's well taken care of. But on the on the high end of the spectrum, we also insure over 20% of the Forbes 400 wealthiest American families. So it's a oh, wow. broad, spec, broad spectrum of clientele. A recent client introduced a biowealth advisor had two high value homes in two different states, as well as many cars, valuables, etc. 
the family's net worth was over $20 million and the client had only $1 million of uh, umbrella coverage, which is excess liability. They had really outgrown a mainstream insurance company that they had renewed with forever. And that came to light when they were told they could not purchase more than $5 million in excess liability. And obviously more was recommended by the wealth advisory team. The client was underinsured in many different ways, and they were actually overpaying for their homeowner insurance. They, they only had one claim in five years, which always helps for underwriting approval and their best rates. Mm-hmm. And we were able to replace, replace their entire program with much broader coverage, including much higher personal liability protection. And, and the overall cost in this case was similar to what they were paying before. So we we actually didn't save them money, but we gave them so much more coverage for about the same cost. It was we I wish we could do that every day because we normally don't. Sure. Sometimes we're we're recommending uh, coverages that they don't have already. In in addition, Marsh Private Client Services will provide ongoing service from a dedicated local team of professionals, which is a big upgrade from the transaction in reactive type of service that the client had become used to. Okay. Wow, that's 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 really interesting. I would have just automatically assumed that the additional service and customization and higher coverages would have just automatically led to premiums that were substantially higher. But that's interesting that, that that's not necessarily the case, right? Yeah. The the larger the the account and more complex the insurance needs the better chances are that we might save them money. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that is really interesting. I, I had no idea. I would have figured that clients would, would pay, you know, to use the word pay a premium, meaning an additional amount above and beyond kind of what the standard rates would be due to yeah. the higher level of service. But it sounds like that's, that's oftentimes not the case. Yeah, generally it is the case where they end up spending more, but they have better peace of mind and and understand that they've taken care of things better than they ever did. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for that uh, background kind of on uh, your current role with Marsh. I shouldn't say current because you've done it for a good while, but for your role with Marsh. So now... Since this is the official podcast of the National Business Development Association, why don't we uh, kind of shift gears? And how how did you get involved with NBDA? And do you remember when it was? I do, actually. It's been a decade already. Wow. I, I knew Christine Spray and many of the directors of the, the, the founding members of National Business Development Association. And it was a much needed organization that was a natural for Houston. And when I saw Christine as the founder and many other Houston area professionals in different industries, I jumped on the opportunity and was one of the first members. And I believe it was 2012. Okay. Yeah, I think the organization celebrating their 10 year anniversary this year. So that would be that would be about Almost right. There, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you heard about it, and then what prompted you to join, and and what what are some of the benefits you see by being a member? Well, mo- mostly the networking in the beginning is the reason I joined, and I knew it would be good, and it was. Not only did we um, attract a lot 
of guests and and build our membership. But it was just good business development people from all industries who all wanted to help one another. So we were all active listeners and, and really wanted to learn more about what others were doing and what their target customer or client might be so that we could potentially help them. And you just never know who you're going to meet that could lead to a new business opportunity. I was also impressed with the caliber of speakers and the relevant topics at all the meetings. And I, I can honestly say I never wasted time in any NBDA meeting. And the reason I say that is I have been to many, many events, seminars, et cetera, where I didn't feel like I got much out of it. Okay. So and I didn't mean, I don't mean NBDA. I mean, other organizations. Right. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it's, it's uh, lived up to your expectations uh, of it from 10 years ago. Yes. So let's talk about, let's drill down a bit more into business development. So I, I see you've got business development right in your title. So I'm guessing that makes up uh, some portion of your week. In a typical week, uh, how much time do you dedicate to business development? It, I probably uh, spend 40 hours a week in business development activities. And, the, and that key word is activity because many of the things you do in business development are not on the phone calling people or actually face-to-face meetings. Things like researching prospective clients before you make the call or connecting dots with someone you may know, who may already know the person you want to reach out to. And sometimes you make extra calls because of that. Things like uh, the actual work involved. As a consultant, I actually get involved with insurance programs so that I understand the account and the risks of the families that I work with. So once we actually have a new opportunity, I'll spend time looking at their current program and asking the right questions that lead to, you know, making the right recommendations. Okay. For asset asset protection. Uh, In my younger days, I probably spent 60 hours a week, but I, I think I'm much more efficient today and I uh, am more selective with, how I spend my time. Hopefully that's the case. Okay. Well, let's, let's drill down a little bit further. So when we talk to, to guests for this podcast, we're always curious as to some of the, the best practices they have around business development. What are, you know, two or three things that come to mind that you view as uh, kind of best practices that you have adopted through the years as it relates to business development? Yeah, so one quick one is I have always been a big believer and still do it today of to-do list. And it's a good idea to actually make a list of the contacts you want to make that day or the accomplishments and objectives you have for the day. And it's okay if you don't finish it all. If you hit 80% of it, some of them rolled to the next day, you did pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then along with that on making uh, follow-up calls, that's a big one. You must be pleasantly persistent where you, you're not bugging people too much, but they people do expect a salesperson to be following up to get a yes, no, or maybe, or next step, or schedule another meeting 
if that's appropriate. So don't ever apologize as long as you have a valid business reason for making those follow-up calls. Okay. Um, what's thing a, what's I do, the third one? Oh, go ahead. Um, one thing I do literally is watch the clock often. I have one always sitting on my desk right in front of me. And if 15 minutes go by and I haven't accomplished anything or actually made a contact, it, it bothers me now. And you want, you certainly want to be able to do that. Um, just constantly be watching that clock because the time flies by. And then I also take care of personal calls and personal business during non-business hours. I've done that my whole career, and I know it's helped me. Okay. So let me just recap those. So those are four great ones. So one is you're you're pretty disciplined about a daily to-do list. And even mm-hmm. if you may not get uh, everything accomplished, you at least uh, – you know, if you can at least get most of it done, you've at least, you know, way ahead of the game of if you didn't have a list at all, make, making the follow-up calls and emails just to continue to keep the process uh, moving along. You have, you have a clock that you keep nearby that you check regularly and you basically um, give yourself like a 15-minute cushion where up to 15 minutes can go by where you've been you know, maybe not ideally productive or hadn't made a, a call or sent an email, but that if more than 15 minutes goes by, you take that as an opportunity to to kind of redirect your attention and make sure that you are being productive. And then the other thing is that something you've done your whole career is that you're, you're pretty uh, disciplined about personal calls, doing those during non-business hours. Did that, did that kind of wrap it up or did that kind yeah, of summarize it? Great summary, yes. So, hey, I've got a question on just kind of a side note. My understanding is that in the commercial markets for property and casualty, that things tend to be driven by renewal dates. And uh, But in the, the personal lines, do those renewal dates matter as much in the commercial? Or is it common where uh, somebody will you know start a new program with you uh, regardless yeah. of where they are in the year for their current plan? Yeah, it's a great question, and you're right. On the commercial side, it is pretty much driven by uh, common annual renewal or re- effective dates. Personal lines is is really uh, different in in all the states now. Um, the states require that any midterm cancellations of policies have to be paid full refund, pro rata refund to the day. So we okay we we make mid term midterm changes all the time. So uh, I don't have to worry about that. We actually will do our complete review and present and the client says go, we establish a new program effective that day or soon and they have concurrent effective dates for all their policies and an annual anniversary. And they love that and they have because so many folks buy different things different times of the year and they end up right renew all over the years. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for uh, clarifying that. I had a feeling that that may be the case. So we've talked a bit about kind of on the, the tactical side of things you do, but let's take a look more at kind of, I guess what people would call the softer skills. What are some of the ways that you build rapport and trust with prospective clients? Yeah. So I'm kind of an honest and sincere person. So building rapport has, 
in earning trust really has been a natural for me, but it definitely gets easier as you mature. And I only say that because I began in this business when I was 23 years old and it was tougher than it, than it is when you're 40 years old, for example, uh, sure. just because experience, um, in, in uh, world experience, business experience and, and experience in your specific niche. Um, okay. Oftentimes though, I, I do have credibility going in because much of my business do does come from other trusted advisors who are already working with a particular client and they recommend me. Um, and it, and it helps to have a, be with a company like Marshall McLennan where we have a great brand. Okay. Uh, the, other, the other thing I'd mentioned there is getting the prospective client to talk. It always helps if you can get them to talk about themselves. And the, the key to, to uh, that really is asking open-ended questions and listening. And then it allows you to end up asking all the right questions that you're going to, to need in my business to, to do a good thorough job of developing an insurance program for them. Okay. So to, to recap that it starts with your kind of general uh, personality of being uh, you know, an honest and straightforward person. Uh, your business comes mostly from referrals. So you've got credibility walking in the door and, and referrals from other trusted advisors. When you're getting to know somebody, you try to kind of keep the focus on them and asking uh, open-ended questions to to get them to to feel comfortable uh, around you. And, and it also sounds like reading between the lines that if somebody is comfortable, you know, talking about themselves and, and kind of going into details of their situation, it's a clue that you're, you're making progress and that there's some, some trust there. Is that right? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So how do you recharge and stay focused? Because I know business development can, you know, can be a mentally exhausting process as opposed to, you know, if you're just sitting in the office, you know, working on a spreadsheet all day and you don't really have to, to quote, be on. So what do you do to recharge and, and come back focused? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I believe in taking time to enjoy successes and, and accept positive recognition for some of your achievements. I play golf and I, I think that's important. I don't do much during the week just because my job doesn't allow it. I stay too busy, honestly. Occasionally golf with, with some clients, but it's it's rare. I I do it on the weekends and regular Saturday golf or um, spend time with family is always important and, and try to shut the business down when you turn log off the computer that's as far as recharging goes it helps to be around other peers who are doing what you're doing and unfortunately due to covid that's really dwindled away uh, mm -hmm. it's a shame and i look forward to getting back to the office when when we uh, can move more people back okay what what are some of the things you do to specifically develop and nurture your network? So, again, with COVID, over the last year and a half or so, I spent more time on the phone and on webinars and on Zoom calls 
which was quite efficient, uh, but, but can be kind of grueling after a while. Webinar fatigue is something that's real, and I experienced it. However, I think face-to-face meetings for select centers of influence and, and prospects is usually much better and worth the time that it takes to drive to an appointment and back. It, so, again, I look forward to, to seeing more of that in the future because we're in a relationship business. But with the new acquaintances who seem to have some synergy with me, I'll ask for a meeting and then keep in touch by calling occasionally and adding them to my newsletter, which is a regular monthly newsletter with relevant topics. And LinkedIn contacts as well is a good way to keep in touch with folks and occasionally do posts. I also try to agree on some basic next steps after the first meeting rather than just walking away saying, very nice to meet you, let's keep in touch and or let's keep each other in mind. Usually, mm-hmm. if, you, if you can think of one or more simple next steps, it's worth the time to say, I will do this and I'll get right back to you. Whether it's uh, sending them an email with an article or, or particular materials, or better yet, if they were thinking of someone they would like to introduce to you, you know, try to, to have a next step in that regard so that it actually leads to an opportunity. And usually one success leads to more. Sure, sure. Speaking of centers of influence, what category of centers of influence is your biggest source of uh, referrals? Are they wealth advisors or bankers or? For me, number one would be a wealth advisor who is typically the, the quarterback of an advisory team who has that fiduciary responsibility to help protect that client's assets. And usually they're in a position to to ask the client about their insurance and maybe how much liability coverage do they have, which because a lawsuit can really take a huge chunk out of their investable assets. Sure. But they're probably my first. And then it, CPAs and financial planners and estate planners have really escalated. And then sometimes private bankers as well, sometimes realtors. You never know who might know somebody who owns a big house or a very wealthy family that uh, might need our services. So anybody you could meet, you know, you could come across an opportunity. Okay. What would you say to somebody who's interested in, in a business development position or who's interested in either doing a career shift or they're starting their career and they're looking at a business development position, what would you, you say to them as far as kind of advice or, or, or insights to, to keep in well, mind? I would say um, if, if you're motivated to accomplish goals and make money for your family and, and also help others, and if you're motivated by achievement and those things, it's a good fit for you. And I would say jump on in. The water's fine and the income can be very good. Okay. In addition to NBDA, what else do you do to develop your skills in the business development arena? So I would say I've always made an effort to have continuing education and uh, pursue other designations that are related specifically to my profession besides 
just a college degree. And that's very important because knowledge is power. And the more you know, the, the more credibility you have, the more credentials you have. So certainly that takes time, um, but it's worth it. And things change too. About the time you, you learn something, it, you'll, you'll notice a trend of changes. And then boom, you have to learn something different completely. Okay, so it sounds like your professional development is not so much on business development skills specifically as much as it is uh, more technical understanding as things change in the industry so that you are a, a, yeah. a reliable, knowledgeable source for your clients. Is that about right? Yes, yes exactly. I believe in, in both. and had lots of good business development training and speakers over the years as well. In fact, when I met, began my career out of college, I joined a company that had an excellent training program and a good sales manager who had a vested interest in my success. So that's certainly important, something that I would look for if I were you know, looking for a career in business development. Okay. Yeah, that that without the having a support network and, and a manager who who's vested in your success, the, the your chances of success go down, don't they? Yeah. Well, as we're uh, nearing the end here, what do you wish you knew when you were 25 or what advice would you give if you could go back in time and give advice to your 25-year-old self? Yeah. You know, I, I thought, thought about that and I don't think I'd change a thing because we have completely different mentalities and we're less experienced when we're younger. And sometimes you just have to learn uh, by hard knocks. Um, but I, I would, like I say, recommend a good training program and a good mentor, sales manager to, to help guide you along the way, maybe even go on that joint calls. It seems like it, I learned a lot early in my career just from going on joint meetings with okay. someone else who had more experience. You, you you pick up on things so so uh, automatically, and it's it's better than reading a book. So that that's certainly something that is important. I started right out of college, which is kind of unique for our insurance industry. I bet many folks actually do that, and I wouldn't change a thing today. Okay. No, that's that's great. It's great to be able to look back on decisions and and have no no regrets. You mentioned that you know kind of your your minimum threshold for a client would be a house with that the building value would be at least a million dollars. Is that really kind of the the primary uh, criteria to become a client, or are there any other sort of minimum uh, metrics? It is, you know, rather than their assets or their net worth, it really boils down to uh, what is a good fit for Marsh and for the insurance carriers that we specialize with and partner with. And uh, they're all uh, looking for primary home in the million dollar range or higher. And then along with that, you're usually going to have a couple of nice vehicles and jewelry or at least a, a nice wedding ring to insure and usually a $5 million excess liability policy to protect you in the event of a a lawsuit, like a bad car accident where someone else is killed and maimed. That that in itself is a good 
growing client for us. And we got lots of clients who have multiple homes in multiple states and they have all also have multiple agents and we consolidate. We're licensed everywhere. Okay. Put it all, put it all together with, with one carrier, hopefully and one program and one broker, one point of contact and one dedicated service person for that account. Okay. No, I can imagine that's a, that's a big deal. So if, if folks want to reach out to you, so either an advisor that potentially has a client that might be a fit or even somebody who doesn't have a, a real strong current insurance relationship, but they have decided that they would self-qualify and they'd like mm-hmm. to talk to you further. How would you like people to reach out to you? I know, I know you're on LinkedIn. So do you take LinkedIn uh, invitations? Absolutely. He could find me there easily, Ken Beeman. And my uh, mobile number is my primary number now, which is 713-397-8037. And it's okay. uh, Ken, Ken.Beeman at Marsh.com. And that's B-E-A-M-A-N, correct? Right. It's like to be a man. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I like that. Well, Ken, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to talk to me. Was there anything that we didn't to cover that you think we should have? No, I don't think so. That was very thorough. I appreciate the opportunity and I look forward to seeing you again soon. That sounds great. Well, hey, have a great day, Ken, and thanks again for being on the show. Okay. Thank you. Take care. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at podcast.nbda.co, and you can find out more about being a member of the National Business Development Association at nbda.co. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.